What's going on, guys? In this podcast, I'm very excited to announce that I will be discussing, at least in some ways, some fantasy football, strictly fantasy football stuff. But I'm going to sort of marry that with the draft because I'm going to talk about the first round players in terms of the uh, where they were drafted this year. Just just uh, what was that last week or whatever it was in the draft. And I'm going to talk about those particular players and what the expectations should be of them for 2021 and maybe a little bit in terms of just their permanent roles as well. But um, obviously I'm going to do the quarterbacks last because I think that one that's a pretty easy one simply because I don't really think we're going to see any other week one starters other than fuck it, I'll just do the quarterbacks now. So um, look, Trevor Lawrence can be a week one starter. Zach Wilson is going to be a week one starter. Other than that, I don't think we're going to see another week one starter, right? So right right away, that tells you that the ADP for a guy like Mac Jones, uh, you know, is going to be very low, right? The ADP for a guy like Trey Lance, if it's a redraft league, I'm, I'm basically just talking redraft, uh, it's going to be obviously, you know, next to nothing, probably free. You know what I mean? They're, you're not really going to see him being drafted. Now, I don't think it's a dumb move if you're willing to – a lot of times guys are – in fantasy, they draft the guy late, you know, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait it out with him," you know. And then week two rolls around, and that guy's on the wire, the waiver wire, right? Like it, that's what we do a lot of times. We don't have enough patience. So, if you have a roster, you know, and you'll know this as you draft, right? Like when you get down to the, you have a couple picks left, and you'll have a roster that you know, like, hey, I think I can afford to take Trey Lance here because. We all know if Trey Lance gets on that football field at any point in time this season, he's not coming off of it. You know, he's going to perform very well. All this nonsense about him not being pro ready is just that nonsense. He is plenty enough pro ready, especially with a savvy head coach and play caller like Kyle Shanahan that, you know, he's not going to ask him to do certain things that he just can't do yet. Right. There are obviously are certain things that all rookies can't do, but he's not going to ask him to do that kind of shit. So, Point I'm making is this: um, it may be worth your while to, you know, depend. You maybe have a deep bench or whatever, and you don't have a very strong quarterback for your starter. It's not a bad idea to draft Trey Lance super late, but you know, because of the fact that he's not going to be draft. I mean, he's not going to be the week one starter unless obviously there's some crazy injury to Jimmy before the season even starts. You know, then he's going to be a guy that is uh, available for very very cheap, right? So I think that. Obviously, Jimmy's health concerns should also come into consideration because, you know, that may be an extra reason to draft him late. Because if you think Jimmy's going to get hurt and miss a game, I'm telling you right now, Trey Lance is not coming back off that field, right? So, you know, maybe it is worth it. Like, what if Jimmy gets hurt in week one and then Trey Lance comes in? I mean, like, that's what happened with Justin Herbert last year. He wasn't supposed to play, right? Or he wasn't supposed to, you know, start week two. But I guess right before. Uh, kickoff, Anthony Lynn goes over and says, hey, you're starting. And he's like, oh, shit. And he's like running around, scrambling around, all nervous. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing. If that happens to Trey Lance, it is lights out because that man is going to put on a clinic. Um, so, yeah, like what I'm saying is these quarterbacks are fringe, not draft worthy outside of um, what I just touched, touched on with Trey Lance. And if you believe in Mac Jones that much, then maybe you, you, you do the same with him. Um, and also Justin Fields is a guy that same thing goes for him, right? If he gets on the football field, 
he is going to prove to be better than what Andy Dalton can currently give you right now as a starter and Nick Foles, just in case you guys are thinking about him. So I don't think Fields will be a week one starter, though, but I do believe Fields now is much more um, likely to be on the field, in my opinion, very early, simply because not of the guys that are not going to be week one starters I'm talking about. So simply because, look, the, the Bears traded up for him, right? But they don't have the leeway with the organization to wait, you know, to like, nope, we're just going to – they don't – like Andy Reid had that, right, when he did that with Alex Smith, and that was his plan from the start. And that makes sense, okay? If the Bears start one and two and Andy's performing, you know, not all that well, like he, uh, Fields is coming in, you know, week four. So I, I, that's just my opinion on that, but I, I really think I'm right. So I think that Fields is the one I'd draft, um, you know – if I need a uh, quarterback to play sooner, I think I'm drafting fields of the guys that don't, that aren't going to start week one, which is Mac Lance and fields. So anyways, uh, Trevor Lawrence, because he's not a very polished passer at this point in terms of by NFL standards, he's not going to sit there and kill you from the pocket right away. I promise. So if he doesn't do that, right, what's he going to rely on? He's going to run a little bit. Okay, their offensive line is pretty good, but I think that there's going to be some design runs and big games in college. You would always see that they kind of favored the run with Trevor anyways, you know, and it's because he's so damn good at it. And to be honest with you, he's more comfortable running the ball than he is always in the pocket passing in certain situations. Okay, I'm not saying he's not a good pocket passer. He will be fine, but I'm just saying he's not a polished ready to just sit there and Tom Brady you from the pocket right now. Okay. Zach Wilson, on the other hand, is a guy that um, is actually, I think, is kind of ready to do that. I, I do believe that. I will say with Zach Wilson, though, there's a floor with Zach that concerns me somewhat, right? Like that there's definitely a lower floor there simply because Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, they have the ability to depend on their legs while they develop other parts of their games as true NFL quarterbacks, right? Um, Zach Wilson, while he's mobile, yes, you know, and he can, he can move around a little bit. He's not a guy that you're going to be designing run plays for, in my opinion, you know I mean? Maybe every now and then, but like, you know what I'm saying? The, he's not going to run 10 times a game. Like Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields can run 10 times a game early on if they need to, to be productive and win games, you know? So that raises their floor as it pertains to fantasy. So with Zach Wilson, you're not going to get that, right? So it just comes down to how much confidence do you have in what the Jets are going to be able to do from a protection standpoint and, and also how you feel about the young receivers there. So And also they have some, some veterans there and Jameson Crowder or whatever. But, you know, it, it really comes down to that. But obviously Zach Wilson is certainly draftable and you should be drafting him. Um, if you can get him late, 10th or 11th round, I'd be stoked on that because I I think that he has a very, very high floor. I mean, I'm sorry, high ceiling. And I think that in that offense, it's a perfect fit for him. I think that he could really, he like, look, it wouldn't shock me if he has a Justin Herbert like rookie season. It, w- it really wouldn't, you know. Um, but it also wouldn't shock me if he's not very good right away. Just because, you know, you don't exactly know what you're getting with that situation with the Jets there. And there's a lot of pressure, you know, so if it starts 
off slow, you never know. It could spiral out of control quickly on him and, and he might be in a, you know, a pretty uh, difficult situation. So I'm just going to say it like that. But yeah, I would definitely draft Zach Wilson. I think he'll play well. Ultimately, I think I would draft Zach Wilson like 10th or 11th round. Um, Trevor Lawrence, about the same. You know, obviously the ceiling's high because of what he can do as a runner. And um, the floor in his case is higher than Zach Wilson's because of, again, what he can do as a runner. So I think that's that's definitely important there. And I, I would happily take Trevor Lawrence, but it, it's got to be at the right price. I'm afraid that the media hype machine that's telling everybody that this guy's the best quarterback prospect since John Elway is going to completely inflate him. And I think people are going to hope that they get the Patrick Mahomes you know, in Mahomes' second season, that is, like, I think they're going to hope they get that, and that's just not, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think that's going to happen, right? So um, I do think that he, he does have a high ceiling, but I, I again, um, I'm drafting him for the floor, and I'm not doing that if he gets, like, you know, some crazy sixth or seventh round. I'm not, I'm not going to spend that kind of capital on him. Mac Jones, you know, I'm not, I'm just staying away. I don't think that Mac Jones is, at least anytime soon is going to ever really be a dominant fantasy quarterback. Even if he's a good quarterback, I don't think it'll be like a guy you want in fantasy. And then for Trey Lance and Justin Fields, as I said, those are guys that, that are, is all ceiling, you know, they are super ceiling and, um, and they're also high floor guys again, because what they can do is a runner. So with Trey Lance, it's possible that he's not a starter even halfway through this season. With Justin Fields, I don't think that's possible. So I would I would nudge Fields ahead of uh, Lance early on, but long term, Trey Lance is going to be a top five fantasy quarterback at minimum for the majority of his career there in San Francisco. So I, I like that a lot. And um, you know, long term, those guys are are great plays. They may even be for me better than Trevor Lawrence, like in terms of fantasy quarterbacks. I, I think, uh, yeah. So anyways, that's how I feel about the quarterbacks. Let's get into the receivers and running backs and a tight end that was drafted in the first round also. So um, first guy on my list to talk about here is Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase uh, was the fifth overall pick, right? And what did he do when he played in college with Joe Burrow is last year he was 84 catches for 1,780 yards, over 21 yards a catch, and he caught 20 touchdowns, right? Last year we saw Joe Burrow attempt over 40 passes a game. That's important because he's got three receivers he has to support, right, in that in that offense. And um, they're pretty good receivers, right? T. Higgins is a guy that with Burrow last year averaged about eight targets a game, and that's including um, the uh, – or no, it's not. I was going to say it's including the week one, but it's not. So, yeah, eight, eight targets a game is where Higgins was at and uh, in terms of, like, what happened with him and Burrow – on the field at the same time, A.J. Green was averaging six and a half targets a game, and then Tyler Boyd was averaging seven, 7.3. So I think it'll be something similar to that in terms of the the kind of split, even though I think Burrow will not quite be attempting 40 passes a game. He was attempting like 40.4 or something like that, I think it was, uh, last year through his first 10 starts. I don't think it'll be quite that many this year. I think they're going to get, obviously, Joe Mixon's hopefully going to be healthy, right? So um, when you look at Zach Taylor, where he comes from, the Rams, that Sean McVay, he wants to run the hell out of the football, right? 
And I think Joe Burrow showed you last year, especially considering they didn't draft another offensive line. Like they didn't draft Penny Sewell. You know, they, you need to protect him. And the best way to protect him is to run the football. I know people don't like that, you know, but if you drop him back 40, 50 times a game, you're going to get the kid hurt. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And it's not going to be as effective when he does drop back to pass because there's not going to be that threat there. There's not going to the defensive ends and, and edge rushers or the uh, pass rushers in general are going to be able to pin their ears back and just go get him. You know, so you don't want that to happen. So I think that they're going to emphasize. I would expect that they're going to emphasize um, running the ball a little bit more, especially since Joe Mixon should be healthy and ready to play right away. And um, so for that reason, you know, I think they'll they'll. Um, I think, but when it comes down to it. Jamar Chase, in my opinion, will go right in the A.J. Green mold, right? Six and a half targets a game. I think Tyler Boyd is going to be your probably your volume leader. Uh, well, him and Higgins are going to be kind of 1A, 1B in that regard. But I think that we'll see this year, Boyd has the slight edge in terms of volume. I think Higgins will be right there. And I think that, look, Higgins is a guy that performed at a very high level in the NFL. You know, that tells you, as a coach... You're not going to go out there and just, you know, force feed Jamar Chase in this situation. The whole point of drafting Chase is to give you that three-headed monster that they had in, with the, the Rams all those years and and to kind of like, you know, be the reason why you don't have to force feed one guy. You know, so I don't think Chase is going to be some gigantic volume guy, but I will say we've seen this offense, and I said this last year as well, we've seen this offense in L.A. with the Rams Support three receivers, no problem at all, even with a heavy running attack. So, um, you know, even though I do believe they'll be running the football more, therefore Burrow will be passing it less, I still think this this uh, pass game can support all three of these guys very healthily. And Jamar Chase, for me, I think he's going to catch somewhere between 50 to 80 passes um, for somewhere between 700 to 1,100 yards, you know, and probably, uh, you know, six to eight touchdowns. So I think he's going to be a legit fantasy option like probably a wide receiver too you know right away it doesn't mean that i think that they should have taken him over Pede Sewell, but we're not talking about that right now we're talking about fantasy um yeah so i think jamar chase is going to be a legit fantasy option for you i think burrow obviously has trust in him um some things i'm worried about with chase are how quickly can he be ready to play at full steam because i could see this i could see people drafting chase in like the you know, whatever, fourth, fifth, I don't even know if it was ADP, but wherever they draft him, right? And then I could see him having a pretty underwhelming first three games of the season, and then people panic and and either, you know, sell low and or just release him, depending on where they end up ultimately drafting him and how much they have invested into him. But I could see that happening, and I will be the one buying low because I think that he's going to come on stronger and stronger as the season goes on. You know, he has – by the time week one kicks off, this kid will not have played a football game in about 20 months, you know, so that's not ideal, you know, obviously. So um, there there might be a little bit of a slow start for Jamar Chase, but ultimately I think he's going to be a legit, um, you know, weapon. And I think he's going to be a legit fantasy option at wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. I mean, I would say probably a low end wide receiver two to high end flex as his floor and then a you know probably 
low end wide receiver one upside kind of thing as a rookie. So Jamar Chase, uh, that's how I feel about you. All right, next guy is Jalen Waddle. So when you look at Waddle, right, what did he do last year in 2020? He only played six games. He went for 591 yards in those six games, though. And that's even kind of um, um, not as reflective of what it was actually like because he was dominating early. And then towards the end, I think he came back and, and didn't you know catch as many passes or whatever. But over 21 yards a catch, right? And then what you what you look at what he did in 2018, 2019 combined, he had 78 catches for 1,408 yards. It's 18 yards a catch and 13 touchdowns. So he's obviously been a guy that's very productive. The most fascinating, intriguing part of my projection for Waddle is going to be that I think he's going to be used in a role much different than what I think a lot of people will be expecting. Maybe not. I don't know. This is my take. But I think that Jalen Waddle – while you think of him as a deep threat, right? Because you think Tyreek Hill, you think like, you know, push the ball down the field, get it to what I don't think that's look, the point of drafting Jalen Waddle that high is getting your guy to a Tagovailoa, a legitimate playmaker, right? To help him come along as a prospect. Because you don't want to miss on Tua. You just spent the fifth overall pick on him last year. I think that the best thing Tua does is not throw the ball deep. Right. And you guys have probably heard me say this before, but the best thing Tua does is get the ball out quickly and accurately. This is why I compared him to Alex Smith as a prospect um, coming out. Obviously, I, I liked him more than Alex Smith, but my point is that's where Tua excels. So, which, why I say this is intriguing in terms of Jalen Waddles, because I think Waddle could be the beneficiary of a pretty high volume attack. <laughs> Sorry, I said it like that volume. Pretty high volume, I think, that he could be more like that. And it's it could go one of two ways, right, depending on how well they scheme it up. He could be a, a high volume, kind of low yards per reception guy and, uh, you know, probably a mid-range touchdown kind of guy. But um, he could also be a low-end – I mean, sorry, a high-end volume, high-end yards per catch kind of guy, like where he's dynamic and, and able to – you know, make a lot of things happen. It just depends on how well they get him in space. And and if you get this guy in space, I promise you he'll take advantage of it. And Tua, the one thing I know Tua can do, we all know Tua can do, is get the ball out quickly and accurately in the short to intermediate areas of the football field. I think that is the best recipe for success for Jalen Waddle. And then when you want to throw deep, or, you know, generally speaking, when you want to throw deep, throw it to Devontae Parker, that kind of thing. So I think that – um that makes sense for me, and I think that because of that, Jalen Waddle is a guy that I actually really like, and I think that we'll probably see him go l- lower than a lot of these guys simply because the passing offense and the confidence level in Tua is not going to be all that high after last year, right? He's getting benched and all that stuff. So I think that Jalen Waddle, in my opinion, is a guy that will benefit from the quick game, and I don't think he's going to be a guy – that I'm going to have a little bit of basically what I'm saying is I'm going to have a little bit of faith in the Dolphins coaching staff from the standpoint of I think they'll get him into an, enough situations with enough space around him to be able to create his own yards and I think he'll do that and then I think they'll spring of course the, it's not going to be you know exclusively short stuff but I think it's going to be um, you know 70 percent 
short stuff, quick stuff, get it out quickly and uh, move the chains kind of thing. And then I think that as the year goes on, they'll be able to slowly, you know, start double moves off of that stuff and start to eventually push the ball down the field a little bit more with them. So I, I like Jalen Waddle a lot, guys. I think that he's going to be a dude that comes in and, and probably catches 60 passes as a rookie, 60 to 80, you know, somewhere in that range. And who knows? I mean, it could go it could go from 600 yards to, um, you know, 1,200, right? So it, it could really be anywhere in that range. But um, I'm not – these aren't official projections right now. I'm just kind of, you know, shooting the shit. But the point I'm making is I think Jalen Waddle is going to be a very valuable asset. And, and, the, and the most thing – I mean, the, uh, the most important thing in this, just like the regular draft, at least from my opinion, is value, right? Like if you, if you get the same production from – both from two guys, but you get one guy in the first round and one guy in the seventh round. I mean, the seventh round is exponentially greater in terms of value and and what that does for your fantasy team because you're able to get so many other good players, right, in in addition to that guy. So that's what I look for, and I think Jalen Waddle might be the guy that returns you the most value of anybody in this first round simply because I think that because of the quarterback situation there in Miami and how it looked last year, I think you'll be looking at Waddle like, yeah, you know, we're not super excited about him, you know? So I think that his ADP will be a little bit lower than it should be. And I, for one, I'm going to try and take advantage of that. Okay. Devonte Smith is the next guy I'm talking about here. So Devonte Smith last year caught 117 passes for 1856 and 23 touchdowns, right? Almost 16 yards a catch on 117 balls. Outrageous. What did he do in 2019 and 2018? He caught 68 for 1256 and 18 and a half. For, uh, I mean, sorry, for 14 touchdowns. So, look, we just we all just heard of Devontae Smith this year, right? But in 2019, like I said, 68 for 1256 and 14. You know, average 18 and a half yards a catch. In 2018, 42 catches, 693 and six touchdowns. You know, at 16.5 a catch. So like, so, like, he's been performing and producing there. Um, now. How do I feel about him with the Philadelphia Eagles? I think that Nick Sirianni will emphasize the run more so than what we saw from Doug Peterson last year. It wasn't very, um, it wasn't, it was a weird offense last year, but I think we'll see Sirianni emphasize the run more and try and, you know, even if that's quarterback runs with Jalen Hurts as well, I think we'll see that from him. And I think that when you look at Jalen Rieger, he's a guy I really believe in. I think that we'll see more from Rieger. Hopefully he's healthy all year long. And I think that we'll see the more volume there from him. We have to look at those guys and we have to understand that Jalen Rieger is a guy that Jalen Hurts is going to have more rapport with simply because he's got a year under his belt with that guy. Now, I know Devontae Smith, he's he played with Devontae in, in uh, college at Alabama. I get all that. But I don't think he has a ton of experience throwing to him in actual football games. I think um, – you know, when you, when I look back, it was I was trying to kind of marry their statistics together and see how often they that uh, hurts through to Devontae, and it wasn't very often, it wasn't very often at all, like maybe less than a dozen times, something like that. So, but um, that's not going to hurt them. That's it, it definitely still helps them that they were college teammates, absolutely. And I think that I think Devontae Smith now, I think Devontae Smith is still going to be great, right? He's my number one receiver before the draft. He's still my number one receiver. I think we're going to see, even in a well-balanced run-first offense, and when I say well-balanced, I mean they're going to kind of you know uh, push the ball to several different guys. It's not going to be a force-feeding thing. But I do believe that Devontae Smith will finish this year with somewhere between 50 to 70 catches. 
you know, somewhere between 700 and a thousand yards. I think it'll be something like that. And I do think he'll catch about six to eight touchdowns. So I really like Devontae Smith. Um, but I just, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how his ADP unfolds as the process goes along. And as we get closer to actually drafting and stuff like that for fantasy, it's gonna be interesting to see where his ADP comes in. But yeah, I like Devontae Smith and, and, uh, you know, I don't think he'll see a ton of volume there um, in terms of like, you know, well, 50 to 70 catches is a ton of volume, but I don't think he'll see like, you know, 150 targets, some crazy thing like that right away. But I think in the future, he definitely will, you know, and I think that also another guy in the future, Jalen Waddle, is going to be an absolute monster. I think he's going to be like Tyreek Hill. I, I really do. I think it'll be a little different style, like I said, because as long as two is the quarterback there, I don't think it'll be a bunch of like deep pushing the football way down the field kind of stuff, but I think it'll be production wise, very similar in terms of just a dynamic playmaker with uh, maybe a little higher volume, a little less yards per catch kind of thing. Okay. Um, let's see. Kyle Pitts, uh, Kyle Pitts, obviously a tight end. Now here's the only bad situation for Kyle Pitts or not the only uh, kind of weakness in terms of fantasy He's in the offense. If they don't trade Julio, it's going to have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, um, who was their third receiver last year, the kid. He's pretty good, too. I can't remember his name right now. But um, Russell Gage and then also Kyle Pitts now, right? So Kyle Pitts is not going to be in a situation where he's catching a bunch of volume, right? It's not going to be at least right out of the gates, you know? Now, if Julio gets traded, this this whole thing changes, right? Because Julio is going to be targeted 140 times, you know, I mean, barring health, right? He's going to be targeted a lot. So Kyle Pitts, I think the biggest strength for him is going to be the fact that he's going to catch a lot of touchdowns, right? I think Atlanta needed some, you know, some extra firepower there in the red zone as it is, or as it was. So Kyle Pitts in that regard is going to very much help their case in terms of uh, being able to convert red zone trips into touchdowns. But I don't think his volume is going to be very high um, because that offense is going to be really well balanced in terms of who they throw the ball to. Gage is still going to be involved. They still have Hayden Hurst there, you know, and I bet you they'll be running their fair share of 12 personnel. If I recall correctly, Tennessee does that quite a bit, and that's where Arthur Smith came from. So in my opinion, I think Kyle Pitts is going to be somewhere in the 40 to 50 catch range, somewhere right around there, right? Maybe 60 um, for somewhere between 600 and 900 yards. And and again, he will have some touchdowns, so six to 10 touchdowns. And the other problem, right, with Kyle Pitts is the fact that we've all hyped him up so much, myself included. We're going to be looking at him as a guy that, like, you're going to say, okay, we're taking Kelsey, Kittle, you know, all those kind of like the top, top, you know, Mark Andrews. And then right after that tier of guys, it's going to be him, you know? So that's the issue is like, do you want to invest that highly into a guy that, you know, at least my opinion is that he won't catch more than 60 passes at the absolute most. Right. And now, so we're really, so what does that make him by default? It makes him a touchdown dependent fantasy tight end in year one as a rookie, you know, anytime we, rely on a rookie you know to be touchdown dependent that scares me anyways especially at the tight end position right but but um you know i guess in some ways you could say at the tight end position i'm more comfortable with that which you know i'm on board with that somewhat with pits in this particular situation as well but i'm just saying if you if it's you know it's going to be a low lower volume situation than where he you know if he would have landed somewhere else i'm not crazy about taking i like it 
I'm going to draft somebody else in the fifth round if that's where we're going with this. So I'm just going to tell you that. But again, Kyle Pitts is an awesome player. He was an awesome prospect uh, at Florida, and I think he's going to be a really good pro. So I just that's just how I feel about it. Now, if Julio's gone, right, or even if you want to talk about his role in the later years, right, like two years, two, three, four, whatever, if Julio's no longer there, which I don't think he will be in year two, uh, he may not be this year. I think then you will see Kyle Pitts emerge as their true number one receiver, even in terms of volume, because, or it could be very close at least, right? Because um, Calvin Ridley, we've always seen him in the in the number two receiver role. You know, if if offenses switch and they and they start giving Calvin Ridley the Julio treatment, Kyle Pitts is going to have an absolute field day, right? And um, and I just think that eventually they're going to treat him as the number one receiver. But I just don't, you know, maybe I don't know if there's much they can do about it, especially with Matt Ryan throwing the ball. It's really going to help Kyle Pitts in terms of, you know, he doesn't have a young guy. He's got Matt Ryan. Like if you're if you're open, the, you're gonna you're gonna get the football. You know, it's that simple. So, um, yeah, I like Kyle Pitts. I like him a lot in Dynasty and all that stuff too. But um, I just think that his asking price is going to be awfully high. So, um, anyways, moving right along. Here. All right, next up is going to be Najee Harris. And um, look, Najee Harris, man, is a dude in Pittsburgh that I believe uh, fell into a perfect situation, right? Now, you could say, what are you talking about? Their offensive line is terrible. And I would say, yeah, you're right. Never mind. It's not perfect. (laughs) But um, I would also say, when I'm saying perfect, I mean this. Najee Harris is going to be the bona fide RB1 there, obviously. Najee Harris is going to be a guy that I think is going to have 300 touches right away because don't forget just because you think he's big and, and you think you know a big power back kind of like by default this guy can really catch the football you know he's a very good receiver out of the backfield i think he's going to be the new Le'Veon bell there in terms of not excuse me not a play style comparison but a guy that um is going to be a just complete workhorse right like mike tomlin prefers that anyways you know i think they're like hey all these other guys are pretty good players. Benny Snell's all right. You know, Anthony McFarlane's pretty good. Let's go out there and get our complete workhorse, right? Well, let's give him the ball 35 times a game. And now, because they drafted Najee Harris in the first round, it makes me it makes me personally think that the reason Pittsburgh wasn't running the ball last year is because they didn't feel like they had the guy, right? And they were I heard they inquired about trading for Le'Veon Bell. So that shows you that, you know they didn't trust their running backs or they didn't like their running backs enough to to really feed them in the way they wanted to. So I think this year, um, you know, Ben's another year older. I think they know they have to run the ball better. I think they know they have to run the ball more often. And I think they just drafted a running back that's an absolute workhorse ready to take over. And he's pro ready. He's not a guy that you need to, you know, work into the offense. He's going to be ready from day one and he's going to be very good. And again, he's not going to have to come off the field because he will protect the passer a little bit, and he also can really catch the football. So Najee Harris, in my opinion, is going to catch, I mean, sorry, going to touch the ball 300 times, and he's going to score 10 touchdowns. The only real issue I see with Najee is the fact that his ADP could be, it could price me out because I have a thing where even if I love a guy, you know, to the point where I love Najee and I feel this confident about him and all that stuff, there's a thing about taking rookies too early that gets me, 
you know, it just turns me off, right? If he's going in the first round, like late first round, or at least say I'm, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm just not doing it. It's second round. I'm, I'm uneasy about that, but I might do it, right? Depending on how the board falls and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to in the second round either. You know, I, I would feel great about it in the third round, but, you know, I don't know. So hopefully the Pittsburgh's offensive line issues can push his ADP down a little bit, but I'm not all that confident, especially if people look at the fact that this guy catches the football very effortlessly and he's got a ton of production doing so at the college ranks. So Najee Harris is a guy that I think is going to be 300 touches a year every year. Um, and uh, I think that floor is high ceiling is high and i would i would even caution you to say this whatever you think his ceiling is raise it because you probably forgot how amazing of a fantasy player levion bell was this dude doesn't need any lead offensive line to be a levion bell he doesn't you know now is he as good of a receiver not quite right but he's still he's very good as a receiver still you know but levion bill is probably a better receiver you know at least in his prime was but I think Najee Harris is a guy that's going to come in and uh, be a really, uh, you know, maybe even a better runner. At least he's not going to be as reliant on his offensive line as Le'Veon Bell was with that patient style. It was kind of he needed them to be able to sustain those blocks, and and that's how he kind of manipulated his way through the second levels and things like that. So, anyways, um, I love Najee Harris. I don't think I, I hope I made that clear. All right, Kadarius Tony. So first thing I'll say about Kadarius Tony is he's going to be a wide receiver too in, in New York. I really believe that because I think he's the second best wide receiver on their roster after Kenny Galladay. Now, I know Sterling Shepard is a very good player. I know Darius Slayton. We were all you know high on Darius Slayton. But the reality is this. Darius Slayton was a fifth-round pick, right? Um, he was a fifth-round pick probably for a reason. I think he's a good player. I think he's very, very, very talented. I don't think he should have been a fifth-round pick. But when it comes to Kadarius Tony, this is a different beast, you know, and they they felt the need to take him in the first round. Okay, so first round grades by NFL teams mean that you can contribute right away. They're not expecting, you know, him to be a guy that slowly, you know, a little bit works his way into the offense. They're expecting him to come out, maybe not in week one, but like they're going to, he's going to be on the field in week one, you know, and, and he's going to be a starter by week four or five, right? Similar to what T Higgins did last year. You know, maybe he wasn't there in week one catching 10 passes, but it was like, you know, we want to get you on the field ASAP, basically. So I think Kadarius Tony will be that, but this offense hopefully should have Saquon back and, and therefore they're, they're going to be running the ball a lot more. Number one. Number two, it's going to be another offense that's pretty well balanced in terms of like, they're not going to be force feeding anybody the ball. You know, I don't think Kenny Galladay is going to catch 100 passes. I could guarantee he's not. I think Kenny Galladay is going to have a role similar to what he's always had. You know, sort of lower volume, right? 60, 70 catches and um, pretty high yards per catch and pretty high touchdown total. I think Kadarius Tony is going to be somewhere in the middle of that, right? He may have – he may he, it wouldn't shock me if Kadarius Tony, and this is probably his ceiling, would have more receptions than Kenny Galladay, even as a rookie wouldn't shock me it um but it also wouldn't shock me if the, if he was much lower in terms of his uh you know yards per catch and touchdowns and things like that so i think that curious tony if i was to give you my little prediction on him i think we'll see lower volume than than you know a lot of these guys i think 30 
catches is his minimum. 50 catches is probably not his ceiling, but my projection for him is 30 to 50 catches for about 400 to 700 yards and three to five touchdowns. So could he become a solid flex flex option? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would take him, you know, in the, in the double digit rounds or whatever, but, and, and, and I would, because maybe I, I want to stress his ceiling enough because I don't think I'm, I've done it. Um, he has a ceiling that you could be like, he could be Justin Jefferson. Wouldn't shock me. You know, maybe not quite to that extreme of last year's Justin Jefferson, but he could be a legit high-end wide receiver too, in my opinion. That's his ceiling. So, but my expectation is going to be, you know, again, 30 to 50 catches. But I also think he's going to run the ball quite a bit. I think they're going to find ways to get the ball in his hands as a runner. You know, let me let me change that projection. I don't, 30 is too small. Let me say 40 40 to 60 catches, I would say, right right in that range. I would expect 40 or 50, you know, somewhere in that range. I think um, he's going to be a dynamic player. He just is. You know, he's a, he is a dynamic player. And if they are, I hope they incorporate him into the offense more as a pure runner because if you just put the ball in his hands and that jet sweep stuff, he is going to return value from that, from that standpoint. So, yeah, I like Kadarius Toney. Um, I like him more long term, and I think that he will. Like I said, he'll be the number two option in 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 year uh, from now and in the future, as long as they have Kenny Galladay. And I think that he will be a guy that will be pretty high volume in the near future. Like sixty, I think they'll. Unfortunately, I think they'll probably release Sterling Shepard after this year. Anyways, I think that Tony will eventually be a guy that's 70, 80, 90 catches a year kind of guy. So. Um, I like Tony a lot, and um, I just don't necessarily love him in redraft this year because it's it's kind of an uneasy uh, volume, and that that's really my main concern. All right, Travis Etienne. So um, look at he went to the Jacksonville Jaguars, went with his quarterback there, uh, Trevor Lawrence. So that's pretty cool. That right away means a lot to me in terms of my comfort level for him. Um, but we can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? James Robinson last year, had almost, what do you have, 298 touches, 249 runs for four and a half yards of carry. So he ran for over 1,000 yards. And he also um, caught the ball 49 times. I don't think we would talk about that enough. Now, is he a great receiver? No, right? He's a good one. He's He's plenty capable in that regard. But I think that we'll see that 49 reception number go down a little bit. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, guys. These two are going to look similar to Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram in Alvin Kamara's rookie season. Um, speaking of Alvin Kamara's rookie season, we look at what he did as a rookie, right? He only touched the ball 201 times. He ran it 120. He caught 81 passes. I think with Travis ATM, we'll see 40 to 50 catches. And I think we'll see 130 runs, somewhere in that range, 130, 150 runs. So I think he'll be right around that 200 touch number. But James Robinson is so – what he did last year, even with the different coaching staff and all that, I get that. It was impressive, like really, really, really impressive. Okay, I compared him to Ezekiel Elliott coming out of the draft. I, I said that he's a poor man, Zeke. And turns out maybe he wasn't that poor man's. You know, maybe that what he wasn't that much of a poor man, Zeke. So, 
Um, he's extremely explosive as an athlete, indicated by his athletic testing and the way he looks on tape anyways, the way he looked coming out of Illinois State or wherever it was he came from. Um, I love them coming out of, of college, by the way. But, yeah, I mean, I think James Robinson is going to be playing involved. But I just – I also think, and I, I know, Travis Etienne is going to be involved. It's just a matter of where's that perfect balance, right? And I think we're going to basically see – 55-45, if not 50-50 in terms of usage, right? And it could be in favor of Etienne, but I think it'll be in favor of James Robinson. So it all depends on ADP. Again, you know, if, if Etienne is going super high, like I'll, you know, I'll stay away. If you can get him, you know, rounds seven, eight, nine, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm buying that all day long and twice on Sundays for sure. So – how do I see this playing out in the future? I see I see the same kind of thing, but I see slowly but surely, similar to what Kamara did in New Orleans, I think um, Travis Etienne is going to be their, their sort of workhorse guy. But I think that as long as James Robinson's on the roster, he's going to get double-digit touches a game. You know, it's 10, 12, 9, 10, 12 touches a game, I think, in some capacity. And he'll still catch the football some. It's, is my belief. So, um, but I do believe Travis Etienne is a guy with a high floor and a very high ceiling because he could go completely bonkers. Because I could see a situation where James Robinson is kind of slowly faded out of the offense um, if they love what they see from Travis Etienne. So I could see that happening. Maybe maybe James Robinson's not a great fit in this offense. Who knows? But I still think James will be plenty relevant, fit 10, 15 touches the game. But I also think Travis Etienne gets right around 200 touches as a rookie in terms of catches and carries. Something similar to what Alvin Kamara did in terms of, you know, just a volume as a rookie. 200 touches, right? I think that's where he'll be. All right. Rashad Bateman is the last one we're going to talk about in this podcast. And, and Bateman, Bateman is the, the kind of um, – I don't know if you call him the trickiest one, but the one that you don't feel so great about, at least as it pertains to fantasy, because Bateman could have a phenomenal rookie season and be completely irrelevant fantasy-wise. Lamar throws it 400 times a year. I mean, that's what you're going to get, you know? So um, in about six to eight of those, are going uh, every game are going to go to Mark Andrews. You know, that's that's just that, right? I think that we'll see slightly higher volume from Bateman than some people would expect, you know, because I think that Bateman is going to be number two right away in terms of, uh, you know, receivers for Lamar Jackson to throw to in terms of volume right away. He'll be number two. I think Hollywood Brown is going to be reserved more to that Deshaun Jackson role where you throw him the ball 50 yards down the field when you throw it to him, you know, and, and that's kind of his role, just the deep threat, and I think Bateman will work the short to intermediate parts of the field and also some deep stuff as well. But that's kind of what I see from him. And in, in this offense with Baltimore, man, it's just it's not ever going to be an offense where you're throwing for a ton of yards and a ton of volume. You know, so obviously, you know, Bateman, again, just like I said about I think it was Kyle Pitts, how much do you trust a touchdown-dependent rookie? Because volume, although it'll be, in my opinion, higher than people think, I don't think that it will be, you know, it's not going to be Justin Jefferson. Let's just say, you know, save it right there. So um, not that he's not capable because he is not that he's not, uh, you know, Lamar's not all that. It's all, it's all there, right? It's possible, but it's just the way that they're built. They want to pound the rock, 
you know, they want to run the football with their quarterback. They want to run it with their running backs. J.K. Dobbins is going to be an absolute monster this year. And I think that Bateman's going to catch – let's see what I, what I write down here. I think he'll catch somewhere – I think he'll be targeted about 80 times, you know, and, and he'll catch 35 to 50 passes, in my opinion, for about – I think he'll score six to eight touchdowns, maybe more. He, he might score 10 touchdowns as a rookie, even on 50 catches. Like, I, it wouldn't shock me because – He's got such great length and ball skills. Um, and Mark Andrews is going to get so much attention down in the red area. So it makes sense for, for Bateman to be able to catch some, catch some touchdowns. And it makes sense for Lamar to be like, hey, if you're going to do that, if you're going to uh, double or, or, you know, you're going to put extra attention on Mark Andrews, I'm going to throw it to Bateman. So, and it's, in terms of Bateman's future, I think that he's going to be a guy that is, you know, 50 to 70 catches every year, right? For, you know, right around a thousand yards. But again, he's not, it's not ever going to be um, top five fantasy receiver, but he's going to be a really, really, really good player for a long time. In my opinion, I, I had him going in the first round uh, in terms of where I would have taken him and I'm, I'm happy Baltimore did it. So that's going to wrap this podcast up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if you agree or disagree and I will talk to you tomorrow. Peace.